0: All right. Kids, those of you who are in pre K through first grade, if you guys are ready to head toward Elevate, you can walk, jog, slash, run that way toward Miss Courtney. If you have a pre K through first grader and they would like to go to a children's church time, if this is your first time to do that, go that direction. Parents, remember next week, it's the first Sunday of the month, so we won't have our regular Elevate time. So bring extra crayons and, uh, and paper and all that good stuff uh, next week. Hey, if you would, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 13. If you have access to a Bible in front of you or you have access to the Bible on your phone, you want to bring that out and open to Matthew chapter 13 we're going to read verses 44 to 58. We try to make these verses available on the screen as a backup, or if you get here and don't have access to a Bible, but I pray that week after week that you're bringing your Bible, opening that thing up as we're studying it together. We try to make sure we're always, always, always using Scripture, opening that up and saying, God, speak to us. And so if you have access, I pray you'll open that up. I've asked Jeff Hempel uh, to come and Read the scripture for us this morning, and as he gets ready to do that, I want you to know that tonight at 5 o'clock, we have the opportunity to ordain Jeff as a pastor here at Emmaus, and so if you can be here at 5 o'clock, I hope you'll be a part of that. It'll be an incredible opportunity. Uh, to be able to celebrate God's work, not only in his life, but this is not about elevating him to a particular position. This is the work that God does in, in a congregation. And, and so we want to be able to celebrate that. We're going to have a chance to do that at 5 o'clock. So I want you to be aware of that. Hope you can take part in that at 5 o'clock tonight. We'll be in this room. Right now, though, our focus is Matthew chapter 13. So Jeff is going to read those verses and then pray for us.
1: Starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and ashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? and are not all his sisters with us where then did this man get all these things and they took offense at him but jesus said to them a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household and he did not do mighty work many mighty works there because of their unbelief let's pray heavenly father we pray that you would bless your word and the preaching of your word may our hearts be open and receptive to the growth and the change and the repentance that you will call us to this morning we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks. So in
0: 1992, a man named Peter Watling lost his hammer while working in a field near, near his house in England. And so Peter called a friend of his, Eric, who owned a metal detector, To come over to his field. So Eric comes to Peter's house. Peter's lost his hammer out in the field. They go looking for it. And in the process, they discover the largest treasure of Roman gold found anywhere in the world. Inside this oak chest that they found were spoons, gold jewelry, coins dating back to the 4th and 5th century. And it totaled $14.3 million. One hammer lost resulted in 14.3 million dollars that these guys found with their metal detector in 2013 a northern california couple was walking their dog when they discovered some rusty cans sticking out of the ground it turns out that they dug these cans up that they contained gold pieces from the 1800s gold rush days that were in nearly mint condition and what they found on their property has been valued at over $10 million. You take the dog out for the walk, and you come back with $10 million. Uh, so the moral of those stories, buy a metal detector and buy a dog, and you will get rich. So uh, that's the moral of the story. No, actually, what does it look like to stumble upon something, to come upon something of such great value that you think that completely changed my life? I went out. And I lost my hammer. I lose things every day, and I've never gotten $14 million. You go out and you lose something, or you take the dog out for a walk, and you come back millions of dollars richer. What does it look like to find something so valuable that you would be willing to give up everything else to be able to have that? How much are you willing to give up in order to gain something else? How many draft picks would you give up to get a key player in your fantasy football team? How many desserts would you give up to gain health and life? How many hours at work would you give up to get your marriage and your family back? We're constantly pressed with this question of how much is something worth to us? And so you get Matthew chapter 13. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value... Went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now these parables in Matthew chapter 13. Part of understanding these parables is understanding the full context that they occur in, all of what's happening in Matthew chapter 13. Now, if you've not been with us before and and you're and you're unfamiliar with the way the book of Matthew works, Matthew is very precise in the way that his book is structured. We have no reason to know this for sure, but remember Matthew was someone who worked with money, and so he has a very accountant-type personality. Everything kind of fits in these spreadsheets. Everything's very structured for Matthew. There are five teaching sections in the book of Matthew. Five places in the book where it'll say, Jesus is going to teach this, And then you'll get to the end and said after Jesus said these things. Five different times. Most likely, that corresponds to the first five books of the Old Testament, being the five books of the law. Matthew is doing something similar. So chapter 13 is the first of his teaching, not the first, it's the third of his teaching sections. And it's made up of these parables. And the whole process is framed by these verses about how Jesus face rejection from his family and from his hometown so here comes jesus bringing the kingdom of heaven showing its power teaching about what god is doing and who rejects him his family and his hometown they want nothing to do with him and then he tells these parables in chapter 13 and all of these parables are about mixed responses to jesus some people respond to jesus other people don't want anything to do with him Some people are interested in what he has to say. Some people reject him out of hand. The kingdom looks really small, but it turns out to be really great. You get all of these surprising parables about how Jesus works. And then you get here to this idea. Jesus is going to tell you, I want you to know what the kingdom of heaven is really like. Now this morning, I'm going to use the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven several different times. So I want to be clear what we're talking about that. When I say kingdom of God, what do I really mean by that? The kingdom of God is about the power and the presence of God coming to reign in our life and in the world and in the process, God brings salvation and God brings judgment. So it's about God's power and presence coming to reign in the world and reign in our lives. His rule is being shown, and it brings salvation and judgment. And here's the key. It comes through Jesus. All of God's power, all of God's presence, His salvation His judgment that He said was going to come, it has come through Jesus. And so Jesus is giving these parables to say this is what it's like. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. The kingdom of God is something that is worth losing everything else for. You could gain the whole world and yet lose your soul. But the kingdom of God, his power, his presence showing up in your life through Jesus, that is something worth losing everything else for. And we see that in these parables. Go back to verse 44. We want to pick these parables apart for a moment. What kind of picture is Jesus trying to give us here? Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now remember this parable is given at a time When people did not have banks and they didn't have security deposit boxes, if you had something that was very valuable to you, you went out, dug a hole, and buried it. And hopefully, remember where you buried it. uh, Maybe drew yourself a little map, put a little X on the map where that valuable thing was because that was one of the ways that you had to keep things safe. Uh, My grandfather, my late grandfather who in many ways was probably my best friend in life, throughout life, Um, uh, he came up in a time where he did not particularly trust banks because the time that he was growing up, he didn't have great trust in banks. And so he stored a lot of his money at his house, behind mirrors, under mattresses, other secret occasions. So when his death happened, which was just crushing to me and because of of my relationship with him we had a little family running joke that when grandpa died it was going to be a race to the house to figure out where all that money actually was because he had buried it in different places and hidden it in different places and we were all not entirely sure where all that money was and so he came up in a time you didn't put yourself in the bank you hid it someplace well this is what you see happening in this parable this treasure was hidden something valuable was there but we see that it wasn't immediately obvious. It says right there, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that was hidden. It wasn't immediately obvious, obvious. Here's the thing. When we talk about the kingdom of God, when we talk about the power of Jesus, one of the things we found out is that it's not immediately obvious. It's not always something that you go say, oh yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I'm going to go after that. Sometimes God surprises us in the way that he works in our life. The kingdom of God had come, but people couldn't see it. It was under the surface. That phrase works really well here. <laughs> Literally, the treasure was under the surface of the ground. It was under the surface in a way that people weren't able to see. This idea here, though, when he encounters this treasure, look what the man does. He found it, and he covered it up. Now, there have been a lot of discussions, and especially early centuries of the church, early Jewish resources after the time of the New Testament, there was a lot of discussion about whether what this man did was ethical or legal. (laughs) He found the treasure, and he said, hey, this is really important. I'm going to cover it up, and I'm going to go buy this field, and I'm going to have it for myself. The way that it seems to be presented here is Jesus is simply saying, this is extremely valuable. It's extremely costly. He's going to do whatever it takes to own that treasure. And so what does he do? He goes... And it says there in 44, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. If you're somebody who loves to circle or underline in your Bible, the word in verse 44 is the word joy. He finds this treasure and he goes and with joy, he sells everything that he has. Why does he have joy in selling all of his possessions? because he knows what he's going to get as a result of it, is so incredibly valuable. Then Jesus turns around and he tells a second parable. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So in 2006... There was a fisherman off the coast of the Philippines who was doing some diving, and he found a pearl that was two feet long and one foot wide and weighed 75 pounds. This fisherman took this pearl home, and he actually hid it under his pillow as a good luck charm, hoping no one would find it. A few years later, his house burns down. But in the process, they're able to get this pearl out, and this pearl is now valued at $100 million. One fisherman dives down, finds a pearl, takes it home, probably should have cashed it in <laughs> instead of hidden it under his pillow. Kids, I don't know if you've ever put a tooth under your pillow and come back with $100 million, uh, but if you have, let me know about it. Um, that's a serious tooth if it's two feet wide and a foot long. But uh, hey, if you have a tooth that big, kids, you deserve $100 million if that's what, what happens to you. This guy found a pearl that was so valuable that nothing else he had could compare with it. House burns down, that pearl is the first thing you're getting out in the process because of its value. This parable, we don't have to say a whole lot about it because it's so similar to the one that came before. Let me just point out one thing about this parable that's so unique. Notice at the beginning there in verse 45, it says that he goes in search of fine pearls. Plural. He wants a lot of pearls in his life. Verse 46, on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold it. Now watch this. How does the kingdom of God work? For many people, and this might describe you, this might describe me, this might describe people you know. Here's what happens in life. They spend life searching for multiple things that will bring satisfaction and value to their life. You search here, and you search here, and no matter what you gain, you always need something more. No matter how much money you gain, you need more money. No, but no matter how much political power you have, you need more. No matter how much popularity, you need more. You're constantly seeking multiple pearls. What's the kingdom of God like? You only need one pearl. There is only one thing that will truly satisfy. You could spend your life seeking satisfaction and happiness and joy and search and search and search. And there is only one pearl of great price, only one thing worth giving your life to, and that is the kingdom of God. And it says here that on finding this pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought that pearl. That's a pretty good investment. Now here's what I want you to see from these two parables, because this is so interesting the way it works. These two parables are one of the most precise pictures of what it looks like to be a Christian, what it looks like to be a part of God's people. If you're curious, hey, what does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like to be a part of the people of God? These parables are so nice because they provide this really clear, concise picture. Number one, you recognize the value of the kingdom of God. You recognize the value of what you have. Number two, you go and get rid of everything else that would be holding on to your life. You say, I'm going to get rid of that. There's a Bible word there, the word's repent. I'm going to turn away from my past. I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to sell it all, sacrifice it all, and then I'm going to go and I'm going to commit everything I have to Jesus. I'm going to go after him because he is the one who ultimately satisfies. How do you become a Christian? How do you live as a Christian? You recognize that Jesus is the one of great value. He's the only one worth giving your life to. You sacrifice and get rid of and turn away from everything else and you commit yourself fully to him. There's this beautiful verse out of Philippians chapter 3 verse 8 where it says Paul says, "I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, as trash, as junk, in order that I may gain Christ. Anything else that I could live for is junk in comparison to knowing and living for Jesus Christ. That's the pattern of how the kingdom of God works. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that's what it looks like. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want to remind you this is what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. Now the question we have to kind of ask ourselves is, what does it look like when that doesn't happen? What what kind of gets in the way of that? That that first one up there, we have to begin by recognizing the value of the kingdom of God. What gets in the way of that? What gets in the way of that is when we look at the things of God— When somebody talks to us about Jesus, when somebody encourages us to get connected to church, and we say, okay, when I get around to it, or, eh, seems important, but I'm really not sure about it. They're offering you a treasure worth more than hundreds of millions of dollars. You're being offered a pearl that goes beyond anything this world could ever offer. You're being offered something, but in that moment, it doesn't necessarily look or feel valuable, which means we have to remember how valuable the kingdom of God is through Jesus. So if you could give me your attention just for a minute, I want to remind you of that. that you were created. That you are valuable because you were created by a God who loves you. And even when we turn away from Him, even when that sin leads us toward death, we are so valuable to Him that He sent His Son Jesus to die for us, to take our place, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so our hope is not found in what we do or what we accomplish. It's not about searching after all these multiple treasures. He is the treasure, and he's come to us. And so we receive him, we trust in him. And when we do that, our hope is not just in this world, but it's for all of eternity. And not only that, it gets better when we trust in him, when we look to him, when we see him, It opens up all of the world. All of the world is about exploring and knowing God. It's about how do I live for him in everything I do. It's not just something I do on Sunday morning, but it it transforms all of my life. That is the value of the kingdom of God. Here's what we have to watch for. If you grew up in church, if you've been a Christian for a long time, there's a temptation for the kingdom of God through Jesus, to start to look, eh, okay, I guess it's good that I grew up in a Christian family. I guess it's good that I'm a religious person. The kingdom of God can start to dim for you. It can start to lose its value. You forget how incredible this is. Imagine, go with me on this. Imagine every night you fall asleep on a pillow and there is something underneath worth a hundred million dollars every night you fall asleep and under your pillow is a hundred million dollars do you think that you would get used to that night after night after night eh, one way you could say yes one way you could say no every night when you fall asleep as a follower of Jesus there is something of infinite value at work in your life there's someone at work in your life, we must hold on to the value of that. We can never, ever, ever grow cold to what it looks like to live for the Lord. Because if we do, it starts to show up in how we live and how we speak to others about the kingdom of God. The second thing is, is that you sacrifice everything with joy. Have I understood what it means to sacrifice everything? I didn't give up just a little bit of my life for Jesus and now hold on to everything else. I give up everything for him. And then I commit fully to him. Following Jesus is not about hedging your bets just in case this whole religion thing turned out to be true. When we commit ourselves to Jesus, we go all in, to use another illustration. <laughs> when you are a follower of Jesus, you're saying, I am all in. I am committed to him. Now here's an interesting question that this passage gets at. Why would anybody live this way? You're like, I'm not sure what you're talking about, Owen, but you seem really passionate about it. It seems important to you. Why would anybody live this way? Here's the answer. Verse 47 through 50. Why would you sell everything to get a treasure? Why would you sell everything to get this one pearl? Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, Men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we talked about a parable almost exactly like this last week, so we're we're not going to get particularly into the details of this other than to say this point. What Jesus is saying is someone who lives in a way that they sell everything to get a treasure or a pearl, they live that way because they believe there are eternal consequences. They live with an eternal perspective. How do you live as a part of the kingdom of God? You must do it with an eternal perspective. The kingdom of God, hear me out on this, the kingdom of God has eternal consequences. And it's amazing how eternity impacts what we consider valuable and worthwhile. How do you sell everything to get a treasure? How do you sell everything to get a pearl? It's because it's not just for right now. We're talking about eternity. So this past week, um, this past week, Amanda and I, uh, we found out that a good friend of ours, a couple of years younger than us, a good friend of ours from New Orleans had passed away. Uh, Just just the most loving, incredible man of God. I mean, unbelievable. I, I, here, here's what's happened this week in my life. There was something about Adrian's passing that changed the way that I lived this past week. Because when a good friend comes up against that, someone who's even younger, younger than we are, comes up against that and they, and they pass away, it makes you face your own mortality. It it makes you think about your own life. And there is nothing, nothing like thinking about eternity, thinking about your own death, that makes you reevaluate what really is valuable and worthwhile in life. To come up and say, God, I have one life that you've given me. And I want to live it for you. I want to live for what matters. I want to live in a way that reflects your goodness to the world around me. When you come up against the reality of eternity which is what Jesus is doing right here. He's saying, you want to live for what matters? You want to live for what's valuable? Think about eternity. Think about what it is to be made right with God through Jesus. That will transform the way that we live. And when that begins to happen, watch what happens in the followers of Jesus. Verse 51, here's what happens when we begin to live in that way. 51, Jesus turns around and says, have you understood all these things? Man, we don't have time to go back over it, but circle the word understood, underline the word word understood. This is key language in the parables. Jesus is saying, do you recognize what it is for the kingdom of God to have come? And he's used this language earlier in Matthew chapter 13. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. Gotta love the confidence there. (laughs) Have they actually understood all things? No, but Jesus is like, well, D for diploma. You got a D. We're going to keep going. I think you do understand enough that we can keep moving ahead. So have you understood all these things? Yes, we have. So he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Okay, don't miss this. This is so cool, the way that this is put together in Scripture. Jesus asked them parables about what do you find valuable? What are you living for? He asked them those parables. Then he asked them to consider eternity. Where is your life headed when you stand before God? He asked them to consider eternity. Then he says, in this life, I want to train you to live in that way. You are going to be trained for the kingdom of heaven. That word trained is the word in the New Testament that is used for discipled or instructed. So when you see the word in the New Testament for being a disciple, for being instructed, for being educated, that's the word trained there. It's not just knowledge here, it's what is happening in your life, in every part of your life. So when you count Jesus as valuable, Emmaus, and when you consider eternity, what happens is Jesus begins to change the way that you live. He trains you to live in a new way. Jesus, you're valuable. Yes, I've thought about eternity. Now teach me to live as one of your followers. Train me in that way. Teach me to live as part of the kingdom of heaven. What's part of living the kingdom of heaven? Well, it says it's being a master of the house. Being able to have some degree of mastery over how you live, recognizing I'm not in charge of my life, He is. And then there's an interesting phrase down here at the bottom. Bringing out of the treasure what is new and what is old. When you're a follower of Jesus. You're not constantly living in the past. But you're also not dominated by whatever is new. That language about the treasure that is both old and new. The primary purpose of that language in the Bible is to say that Jesus has fulfilled all things. Everything that came before was pointing to Jesus. And nothing will come after that does not have to do with him. And so as his followers, we can look to the old. For the love of God, don't get rid of the Old Testament. (laughs) And we don't get rid of the things that have come before us, the generations that have come before us. We value the old And at the same time, Jesus points us into the future. We're not dominated by the past. We don't live for nostalgia. We don't want to get back to the good old days. We want to move ahead to where Jesus is taking us. So how do we know as a church when we counted Jesus as truly valuable, when we thought about eternity? It's when we value where we've been and we live with everything we have for where God is taking us. When we're able to take hold of both of those and say, God, do this work in our lives. Do this work in our church. Okay, let's step back for a second. Let's think about what is our response to God's word this morning. Let me give you a couple of ways that we need to respond to God's word this morning. The first is to consider your response to Jesus Have you recognized how important? What I'm talking about this morning is not picking your favorite ice cream flavor. It's not picking your favorite political candidate. This is not that. This is eternity making. This is literally life or death. Jesus is infinitely valuable. What does it look like for me to respond to him? Have I sacrificed everything, repented, and trusted in him? What does it look like for you to stand before God in eternity? What does it look like for you to do that? Do you know that your hope is in Christ? Let me remind you, here in just less than five minutes, we're going to sing a psalm together, and then after that psalm, we're going to pass those offering plates around during that missions video. Hear me out on this. If you need to talk to someone about your relationship with Jesus— During that psalm that we've seen, you can come up here, and we want to pray with you. We want to talk with you. But if you know there's no way I'm going to be able to walk up there, but I need to talk to someone soon, if you will write that on one of those information cards in the seat back in front of you, and you will put that in the offering plate when it comes around, we will reach out to you. We want you to consider what it looks like to respond to Jesus. Here's the second thing. Am I growing in my understanding of the kingdom's value? If you're a follower of Jesus, ask yourself this question. Am I living in such a way that the things of the kingdom of God are growing brighter and more valuable or dimmer and less valuable? What direction is your life trending? Are you trending in a way that every week Every month you're moving away to say, God, your kingdom, your power is more valuable than it's ever been. Number three, that you would grow in joy and sacrifice. As a follower of Jesus, is my life moving in a direction that I'm becoming bitter and grumpy and stingy? <laughs> or is my life moving in a direction that I'm growing in joy and peace and freedom and sacrifice? That's a hard question to ask. What's the difference in someone's life becoming bitter, grumpy, and stingy, and someone's life becoming joyful, free, and sacrificial? It's, am I focused on the things of God, things that are eternal, things that matter? And the number four, we would make disciples who value God's kingdom above all else. Parents and grandparents, let me ask you guys a question. Parents and grandparents, do your kids— And do your grandkids, are we helping them to value the things of the kingdom of God through Jesus above everything else? Here's what we do with our kids and our grandkids. One of the most important things that we do is we help them to assess the value of the things in their lives. We help them to see where does this fit and what really matters. Where does this fit in what is really valuable? How does this fit in the work of the kingdom of God? And you know how we do that? We do that through long sit-down lectures with them. No, of course we don't. What a horrible answer. Man, you must be a lousy parent. The way you do that is by what you count as valuable. Because our kids and our grandkids pick up quickly what we count as valuable what we count as something that brings joy, what we count as having eternal impact. And so what are we doing to shape the values, see what I did there, a little wordplay. to shape the values, the worth, that our kids give to things in their lives? Because we know this, nothing can compare to the value of the kingdom of God through Jesus. He is good, he is holy, he is very, very, Very loving, but he also brings eternal salvation and eternal judgment. And so we must know what it is to be made right with God through Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Here in just a minute, we are going to sing a song, a powerful song about the worth of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Emmaus, here in a minute that you would sing out with all your heart, that God would use this song to do a good work in your life. So here in just a minute, we're going to sing. During that song, we would be honored to pray with you. We're not going to pass our offering place during that song. We're going to wait. We want you to sing. We want you to pray. We want you to respond. And then after that, we'll watch a mission video and and, and respond. But God, we pray right now. God, I pray for every person in this room God, I pray that every person who can hear my voice right now, whether they're listening at home or they're in this room, God, help that person to consider eternity. God, help that person to ask the question, what will it mean for me to stand before God in all of eternity? God, that we would know how good you are, that we would know how important you are, how valuable you are, And we would live lives that show that because you are worthy of all of our worship, of all of our praise, of everything we have to give. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.